I'm Frank Gallagher, host of Soundman Confidential. It's showtime. Plug in. Let me ask you this. What do the police, talking heads, gang of four, Laurie Anderson, Sting, Steve Winwood, Don Henley, and Juan Gabriel have in common? They have been lucky enough to work with the amazing Dolette McDonald. I first met Dolette in my years working with Talking Heads, when she was a vital part of the band's expansion to a nine-piece. We had some amazing times together. Dolette is a remarkable musical talent, one of a kind. It's an honour to have her on the show. The wonderful and talented Dolette McDonald. Wow, Frank, that's quite an intro. The wonderful and talented... You have, you I have like it. All four food groups. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that, there's that laugh that I remember so well. <laughs> this girl can laugh. Let me tell you. You know, I used to get, I used to get my ass beat for that laugh. Let me tell you. We nearly went to jail for that laugh. <laughs> we'll my mom, that. I. My mom tried to change it, but we'll talk about the laugh later. Yes, yes. So, uh, Dolette, um, I, I met Dolette when she was um, singing uh, with Talking Heads um, oh. with the Nine Piece. And, and um, let's go back to, to how you got into A, got into music, and, and B, your early recollections of sound, specifically sound, as it relates to music. Right. Um, well, I, the first sound I remember, uh, was Dinah Washington in my house. Um, it's, it's a voice that's kind of ingrained in my brain. It's really weird because I hear her all the time. And, uh, after that, there wasn't, it went from Dinah, being, listening to Dinah Washington to nothing no secular music at all in my house um and at about six years old i started you know singing around the house and and uh when i went to school my music teacher miss simmons god i love that woman um she she used to dress in frilly dresses and come to school with a driver and wear and she wore mules and she played piano and taught us um Broadway tunes and she I was harmonizing with one of her with one of the songs she was teaching us and she banged on the piano and said, Who's that singing that harmony? And you know, I thought I'm I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble. And I raised my hand and she said that was fantastic and called my mother. She taught me the Lord's Prayer and I sang in uh, assembly and that was those are my earliest memories of me singing. So so you were in an in an audience uh, very quickly in front of an audience. Were your parents uh, musically inclined? Not at all. My father actually had a, well, I shouldn't say not at all. My father had a beautiful bass voice. He had, and he used to sing on the street corner with his brothers. 
I remember that. And uh, my mother couldn't sing a lick, but she was a performer. Um, and uh, all of my sisters and brothers had a voice. They all had some, you know, some type of singing talent. They never pursued it, but they all could. I think everyone in my family actually could sing, uh, except for my mom. Were, were you... Um were you exposed to anyone in the performing arts on a personal level back then? You God, think? no. Church. 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 A lot of church. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I have to remember that that although it was church, they were performing in there because we had a choir called the Consoles. And... Oh, man, I was so in awe of them. They were all adults. And they would, I remember looking back now, they would be so hungover on Sunday morning. But they would come and they would sing their asses off and they would perform. And the the bishop of the church's name was Thomas J. Thorpe. And guess who he was married to? I couldn't. Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Oh, so yeah, yeah. So I went to her husband's. Her well, they weren't married at the time; they had divorced. But I, I went to his church, Bishop Tharp. So yeah, I, I had quite the. Uh, I, I, I was exposed to music in such a a deep way. I couldn't really appreciate it at at the time because I was a child. But I certainly do appreciate it now. Ah. Fantastic, and uh, did you keep singing through your through your uh, your younger years uh, into your adolescence? Did you keep it up? Oh, oh yeah. Well, my mother made money off of me. My mother, <laughs> <laughs> my mother was was a traveling evangelist, so she used to take this little girl who's me uh, around with her to warm up her. Uh, her congregations and and trust me the when I went the the offering plate was pretty big and she would take me and I would sing and then she'd had this little bed in the back of the church made up because I had to go to school the next day so I would go you know I would sleep while the church was going on and then she'd take me home and put me in bed but yeah I sang uh, all through my my adolescence, and then I went to a high school for music and art, which in North New Jersey, Arts High School, and uh, continued singing there. Did that was you, my major. Did your mother split the takings with you? <laughs> <laughs> Child exploitation. You know, that's against... Exactly. Uh, you know it's against the law. That's right? against the I law now. <laughs> I used to tell, we used to have a good laugh about that. I said, you know you were breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was in God's name. It was in God's it name. Was in, so that's completely different. It was in the name of the Lord, which makes it a lot different. Yeah. For, for sure. Unless you're a lawyer. Um, <laughs> so so um, what kind of teenager were you? Uh, inquisitive. Um, because I led a very sheltered life as a child. I mean, all I knew actually was church, school, and home. Because 
We didn't go to the movies. We didn't go to shows. I never, I was an adult before I, I went to the movies. I was an adult before I saw a, a live show. Um, so I, I'm a late bloomer. Um, I, I grew up very late in life. I, um, as a matter of fact, I left home at 17 because I I felt like there was more to life than what my parents were allowing me to experience. So I finished high school a uh, half a year early and got a job and, and moved out and, you know, sort of found my way there. Difficult. It, it was difficult, but I I knew that at the end result would be worth it. So, so uh, did you go to live in, in, did you stay in Jersey or did you go to New York? No, I went to New York. Frank, you know I went to New York. You, I ran to New York. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my mother said, well, you can't come back here. And I said, I'll sleep in the park before I come back here. Oh, it was a big, it was so much drama. Oh, my God. And uh, yeah, I, I I went straight to New York. Sure did. And did you uh, did you keep singing in, in uh, when you got to New York? In any no, not at first because I didn't I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I went there and I I had a job. And as a matter of fact, it was with um, Hertz Hertz Rental, but it was the equipment rental division, and I was like a. Um, a clerk of sorts. And um, I worked there while I was going on auditions. Someone had turned me on to um, the uh, trades, which was backstage and show business, the name of them. And it, one would come out on Wednesday and one would come out on Thursday and they'd have lots of auditions in there. And and I just go and audition and audition and, you know, and and try to learn that way. So it was kind of fun. I mean, it, I was afraid because I didn't know what I was doing, but, um, and I was still singing background, uh, in clubs for different artists in Newark. So I would go back and forth, you know, singing with, uh, with different artists. Like, uh, there was a guy named Mark Sedane that I sang a lot with from Newark, New Jersey at that time. Uh, did, uh, did you get paid for that? Oh Yeah. Look, so you, you I got paid not very much. I remember I think it was like 50 bucks a, a show. Not bad. What year was that? 1912? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the early 70s maybe. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I, I met you when you were quite young. Um Yeah. What was the what was the the first uh non-church show that you that you witnessed? Uh, in Manhattan, either rock and roll or funk or soul? Or... Well, actually, it wasn't in Manhattan, believe it or not. It was downtown Newark, and it was Al Green. Ah, good start. Yep, and he had, and I'll never forget, because he had on hot pants. <laughs> I, I, that was the first time I'd ever seen a man in hot pants. And I was just completely blown away more 
more than him, it was the audience because I had never experienced people like this, enjoying a show like this. So I was in awe of the audience. I was in awe of his performance. I was in awe of my date. It was, <laughs> there was a lot of awe <laughs> It was great. Uh, and how, old, it was great. how old were you at that point? I think I might be, I might have been 18. To see Al Green. Mm-hmm. It must have been mind-blowing. Must have been. It was completely, it was, it was otherworldly for me. How did the sound strike you? Not on a technical level, but just in, right. that, in, in those days, the sound systems were getting decent. You know, there were still some, some crap ones, but they were, in general, they were getting decent by the, by the 70s. Um, well, it was the sound, you know, it just enveloped me. It was because I, I'm the type of person, I'm not a technical person. I'm a feeling person. I, if I feel it, it's right. And, and that's just how I lived my life. That's how I've always been. I have certain feelings that happen for certain things. And um, in terms of the sound of this particular show, it just enveloped me. And I think, I don't know that it was just the sound of the music and him singing. I think it was the whole vibe of the whole experience that I felt, really. I can dig it. I can dig it. I, somebody said to me, you've got really good ears. I said, I don't mix with my ears. I mix with my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I can relate. I, yeah. There's nothing yeah. professional about me. I, 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 <laughs> or to, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the world's best technician, but I know what. I, I know what a song should sound you, like. That's right, Frank. I'm a witness. You know what's good for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so I don't want to accelerate too quickly, but you and I met on a Talking Heads tour with a big band, and and. How did you come? I think Bernie Worrell might have been the, the conduit that brought you into the band. I'm not sure of how that happened. I, I just know that they called a rehearsal and all of a sudden that there was we you. showed up, right? There was you and, Dol <laughs> there was, there was you and Nona Hendricks and Adrian and, and Bernie Worrell and all that. Adrian being yeah. Adrian Ballou and Steve Scales. Right. And, and it was like, because nobody in Talking Heads had told, we had a very... Uh, I don't know if it was a psychic communication system back then. There was no cell phones, no faxes, nothing. Right, and right. Somebody, somebody would call me and say, go to go to uh, the rehearsal studio at 10 tomorrow morning. That was all they told me. <clears throat> Excuse wow. me. And there was this, well, this band. How did you get to be in that room that morning? Well, interestingly enough, it was not Bernie. Buster and I had worked together. Uh -huh. Prior to that, Buster and not Buster was my brother. I loved some Buster Jones. He, um, he and I, I felt like he was, you know, a part of my family. We worked, we did some gigs with. There was a, a disco group called the Bombers, I think, and I met Buster with the Bombers, and then he asked me to sing on his record, and I did. I sang on his record, and then he asked me, he said that Talking Heads was looking for a singer, and I was like, what's a Talking Head? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? What? Because I knew nothing about 
punk new way. I I was green. Talk about green. Frank, I was so green. And I didn't realize at the time how green I really was. And uh, Buster told me, you know, what was going on. And sure enough, that's how I showed up. Uh, and and uh, as, as, uh, as someone just walking into a situation like that, as, an, as a singer, and to you having to interpret what 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 the band had already pr- pretty much composed it wasn't right and then we were making some of it up as we went along like every other you know things change yeah. when you get humans involved things things change the, the right. chemistry changes the thing i've always thought about with 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 uh people who are shall i say not band members you know you, right. you, you don't have a support. vote you don't have support. a vote right the it's, support it's not a democracy it's, right. it's pretty much a benign dictatorship usually. Um, how did how did uh, how did you f- feel uh, walking into a situation like that? With well, it was my first time walking into a situation like that. That's the first thing. I was scared to death. I was so nervous. I had never experienced anything like this, and so I just let my instincts take over and I just felt everybody I sat back and I watched and I learned the songs like they they were taught to me but then I realized that um I was allowed to do a little bit of improv and so I just little by little I added stuff and, and it was, and it was embraced. You know, I, I never heard once. And, and I'll tell you, Frank, this was talking heads was the only band I've ever worked with that allowed me to just sing. Didn't tell me how they didn't tell me how to sing. They didn't tell me how to use my voice. They didn't tell me that, you know, for example, certain bands I worked with, I couldn't use vibrato. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I couldn't ad lib. I couldn't. It had to sound like the record. I had to change my voice to sound like the singers on the record. All of that. I never got that energy from Talking Heads. It was it was just for a first time big time gig for me. It was perfection. Ah, yeah. Well, that was that was quite the band. That, yeah. That that configuration was was quite the band, and we went yeah. all we went all over the world. Yes, we did. And yes, we did. And I had never been anywhere except for Mexico. Yeah, we took you places. Yes. <laughs> 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 some I wanted to be and some I didn't, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that the point, and I'm not going to make too fine a point on it, but we, we were a mixed race band and going into mm-hmm. some countries that was mm-hmm. not always easy. Mm-mm. And and Mm-mm. within our organization, there was no color. There was no. There, no. Was, there was only the song and the tune, but, but right. the, the nuts and bolts of traveling and, uh, we got to Italy, for instance, and there's, there's, you know, we, there was a nine-piece band and some crew. There was a lot of us, and we're going through Italian customs. And and uh, before the guy even opened Dolette's bag, and I'm not going to be too indelicate here. There was a, there was some fem, there was some feminine equipment, fe, some feminine equipment in Dolette's bag, and, and <laughs> 
she started <clears throat> excuse me Delette started laughing like that in Italian customs and so Steve Scales oh who also had a huge laugh and Buster oh. Jones just started oh my cra- God. cracking up and Bernie Bernie was never too loud but Bernie was cackling in a corner and we, because we, it was funny it was His so face. funny and Italian customs the guy with a hat on like a carabinieri and a, and glaring a, and a gun. at us and, and a gun oh yeah there were guns everywhere and so this is getting into Rome and, and so I thought oh no we're, we're going to be in the airport here we go we're going right. to be in the airport for a while but because we couldn't stop laughing and the guys holding the guys the guys holding up this piece of uh, feminine equipment from the let's bag, <laughs> looking at it, wondering what the fuck is this. What? The- <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. But but oh my god! But the funny thing is, I didn't have sense enough to be embarrassed by it. Yeah, I because for me it was just normal. It was like I, in my mind, everybody had that. Yeah. Yeah, and w- but he held it up for the world to see, <laughs> and he was looking at it like it was a foreign object, as you know, like I was, I, I had drugs or something. I was like, dude, you know, and I just lost it. I lost it, and you know, once I start laughing, that just opened. Everybody else starts laughing. Oh yeah, even and- da- David, even David Byrne was laughing. <laughs> It was funny. I know. I, th- I thought, well, here we go. We'll be here, here for Here we go. We'll go to an Italian jail. They'll rip us apart, you know. Yeah. So uh, that, that's just one little story in many, many, yeah. ro- many, many road stories. And so much laughter. There was so much so, laughter in yeah. that band. You know, yeah. pe- pe- yeah. people, people think that the Nine Piece Talking Heads, it was all serious. And I mean, it was oh, God, fun, fun no. in the music. But off stage, it was a riot. We we had uh, they're not the arty farty little band people think, you know. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because I have not experienced that since. Yeah, nor me. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've been with some really great people and some great bands, but I've not experienced that type of fun. Yeah, you know, um, off stage since since then. Oh, the B-52s keep me keep me laughing. And I, oh, and that's I, good. And I keep them. I mean, how could you take them seriously? Look at them. I you know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I, take the, I take the job seriously, but, but you know, they're fabulous. But they're fun, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just so much fun. For sure. And, that's, and we yeah. bring joy to people, and so do you, and that's and that's the name of the game. Yeah. So, so – after Talking Heads, I left. I think after after we came back from Japan or Australia or somewhere, and I and I and I went on to other to to, to do other things, um, mainly you know lose myself in the, the the chemical stimulants of the world, shall we say, yeah. for a few, yeah. for a few years. I went down a rabbit yeah. hole. But so, what did yeah. you what did you do after after Talking Heads? What was your first thing? I know. I know I bumped into you with with Sting, but did, what else? What, what did you do immediately after that? Well, um, you don't know this story, but I was uh, when Lynn Mabry came. Yeah, we started rehearsing. I guess for uh, Stop Making Sense, but I was um, I got a call from Duran Duran to to uh, tour with them. And it was going to be, um, you know, a quite a bit more money than I was making with Talking Heads. So I had a decision to make. So I 
I, before I made the decision, I went to David and and said to him what was going on. And so the next thing I knew, I, I get a call from Duran Duran saying that the offer was no longer on the table. Well, apparently David went to Gary. And I didn't know this until I ran into Simon LeBon. And this is, I found out years later while working with Sting. And he came up to me. We were uh, we were doing a, a video uh, in Los Angeles and with Sting. And Simon LeBon and Duran Duran was at the same studio. So I ran into Simon and he said, I'm so sorry about what happened. And I, I'm, I was dumbfounded. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he told me that Garrett Kerfers called his manager and told him that they couldn't hire me. They better not. So I was out of two gigs, basically. Wow. And so, yeah. And... um and it was over money. And, you know, and I was cool because I'm, I'm the type of person, I don't believe that anything, and it, it sounds odd, and so I'll put that disclaimer out there, but this is how I live my life. What's mine is mine, and it can't be taken away from me. So I just, you know, I just moved on to the next thing, which was, I think... Uh, Steve Winwood or Laurie Anderson. I'm not one or the other. I'm not sure. So, but it was either Steve yeah, Winwood I, I, or Laurie I never, Anderson. I never knew that story. I just knew that I didn't see you on Stop Making Sense because I had left before that anyway. So yeah, I, I wasn't. Yeah. In, I wasn't in the loop. I got canned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know that one. Proudly. Uh, I know that one. <laughs> Without shame, I got canned, how, you know. How, how did you get a gig with Sting? Uh, well, I worked with the police. Oh. I did the police synchronicity tour. Oh, I did not know that either. The police. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah I, that was, that was uh, pretty intense. I did the final tour at that time, what was there before Sting went solo, I did the police synchronicity tour. And the last day of the tour, I had uh, the last show of the tour. Sting was in like a horrible mood. And he was just angry with the singers. He was angry with the world. And so the next day, we were all waiting to go back home. So I went and sat next to him in the airport. And I'm like, what was up? What's what you know? What was going on last night? And he said he was saying we were singing out of tune, and you know, no singer wants to hear that they sing out of tune. And uh, so we had a really interesting discussion about that. And he said, but not to. He said to me, he said not to worry. He said I got some things in the works, and I'll give you a call. Well, you know, they all say that. I didn't believe it. And um, because I didn't get that kind of energy from the from the police organization. Um, so I just went on doing whatever it was I was doing with other people. And believe it or not, I did get a call, which was interesting and said that Sting was putting a band together for his solo um his solo act and uh if i would be a part of it and i was you know honored and pleased that i was called to do that so that's how i got involved with the sting solo person ah turns out though I, before i forget I, I think i bumped into you at john's beach 
when I uh, mm-hmm. on that Sting tour when I was working mm-hmm. when I was working out there. But but Sting's uh, monitor guy was Scottish, Ian Dolby. Yes, Ian Dolby. Yes. I used to Sam. I used to uh, the ego they called him. Yes, yeah. I used to skate with him. I skate with him as a boy. Small world. Really? Small, and yeah, he's from Falkirk, a few miles from where I'm from. Uh, wow. That was my stomping ground. Just a, That's just an aside. Anyway, so so uh, did Sting pay you well? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, good. It's none of my yes. business. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's, but that's, that whole thing about salaries was even in the movie we did with him. Because he hired these musicians who, you know, jazz musicians, and uh, they they were something. And um, they had all gotten together and, and uh, uh, you know, demanded quite high salaries, which he paid. And so in turn, Janice and I had an attorney and uh, we ended up getting paid well as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, so who else did you work with? Uh, Let's see. Don Henley from the Eagles. Oh, tell me, tell, tell me about Don. And how did you get that call? What? How? So now, now you're in it. People know who you are, obviously, because right. because of that. So your phone would ring, or there would be, you know, connections. Other musicians would rec- who who would get in first would recommend you and stuff like that. Is that how it worked well, for you? Well, for me, I had a manager. Uh huh. Because I was terrible at negotiating all that. I'm not good. I can't sell myself. I can't. I'm not a salesperson. I don't, I'm not that person that knows how to promote, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not into self-promotion. I'm not, if it would left up to me, I'd never have a job. (laughs) 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 So I always had a manager and, um, uh, that would be how I would get my gigs, you know, and, uh, they would hear that somebody was looking for, so you know how it goes. Yeah. And um, so I didn't have to worry about discussing salary. I didn't have, I could just be the singer and, and do the job. And I preferred it that way. I was willing to pay to have it that way. That's a, that's a interesting. Now, speaking of, of uh, you just walking in and not having a vote and just doing the, singing the song, sometimes, sometimes you had to, to sing a very structured part, and sometimes you you were allowed. But from what I gather, you weren't always allowed that much freedom going in. Right, right. How did you well, how did you deal with, with Don that? Don Henley, you talk about Don Henley. Don Henley was a prime example of that. He wanted everything to sound exactly like the record. He didn't want any improvisation no ad-libbing no it was really interesting i'll never forget it was um there was lynn mabry who did stop making sense and there was me and there was cheryl crow before she became cheryl crow and um we it was funny and during I'll never forget during one of the rehearsals, Cheryl said, Let's do this at the end. And uh and so we 
we created this ending to the song, one of the songs, I don't remember what it was. And he turned around and looked at us and looked at the band and said, that will not be happening. He was not happy. I mean, it, and it was just a joke. We were joking, you know, and it sounded fantastic. But he was not, and even Branford had a situation with him on uh, the Grammys where uh, Branford was going to play, I think it was The End of the Innocence was the name of the song, and there's the saxophone part, and Branford went to play it, and he told Branford, no, I want you to play what's on the record, and Branford said, I don't do that, man. (laughs) And and he and uh, Don was like, no, you have to play. And Bradford walked out. Wow. I mean, Don was, that's how serious he was about how he wanted things to sound exactly like he wanted it to sound. He was a real stickler for that, which can be really, really exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, as an artist though, but then you ha- then you have to turn on the professional aspect of the, that's right. the, the job you're doing. You're, that's right. You know, if you're a plumber, you've got to do what the pipe says. You know, that's exactly so. exactly. So yeah, I mean, I was I was fine with it. Um, it was tiring, and I and and Don and I, you know, we had a couple little hiccups during the tour as a matter of fact he fired me because i just i I told him how i felt about something (laughs) he fired me then rehired me you know (laughs) i i i've i've heard you telling the truth yes But he can't handle the truth. Yes, (laughs) Uh, some of them some of them can. Um, It's true. so so um here's another little the little gender difference so um you're talking about Don Henley and guys and and uh how was Laurie Anderson I, I believe you worked with Laurie Anderson oh how is, my god how was the the interaction there with cuz cuz you know you know the the feminine can be complex as as can the as can the masculine but the the well, you, that dynamic you know- yeah, well, Frank, interestingly enough, Laurie was delightful to work with. Her music, on the other hand, was the most some of the most difficult that I've ever done. Um, and because it was very technical, very computerized, very because she's a performance artist so there were visuals going along with the music so you couldn't fuck it up <laughs> there was no wiggle room right there was, you know if you're doing like a regular gig and you make a mistake you can sort of uh improv your way back to where you need to be not with laurie anderson's music that was not happening if you were one beat off you screwed up everything So you had to be 100% focused. There was nothing you couldn't, there was no room to be trying to feel shit. There was no room, (laughs) there was no room to, you know, be emotional about her music. It had to be right on the same way every time. It was a challenge for me. It was really, but I loved every minute because I learned so much from her. Hmm. 
Yeah, that that would be a that would be keeping up with a with the video wall. That's a, yeah. It's another another skill. The, yeah. Uh, did you did you work with Gang of Four? I did. I did. Hugo Burnham is one of my best buds. Hugh, Hugo and I know each other. Oh and, my god! And, I love and Sarah Hugo. Lee because when I Sarah Lee uh, with the B fifty twos as well. And right, right. So we had a Hugo was at my wedding. Wow. Yeah, I I adore Hugo. He's just such a good good friend, a good guy. A lovely, I really a lovely do. man. I should get yeah. him, I should get him on the show one day. You should. I'll do that. Because he will be great fun on the show. Yeah, um, we did Gang of Four, and um, it was fun. It was about, I think it was about three months maybe that we did, and it was a club tour, and it was just fun. I had a great time. It's uh, uh, quite a... Quite a change from from the other acts you're working with, uh, a, a post punk pop band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I, I love it. Frank, I've been a lucky, lucky, lucky woman. I've been so blessed to have had opportunity the opportunities that I've had to work with such a diverse group of artists. I've just done a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. So, so touring. Um, what was what's the a lot of a lot of uh, people in your position uh, would do the studio work but not go on tour some right um, and then right. they bring people like you in to to, to come. I don't understand that but there you go but what was the hardest? well let me tell you why <laughs> I figured it out let me tell you why because when you do studio work not only do you get paid residuals but you get you get in a union, which thank God I am still, and you get pension, health care, or that's why I didn't realize why my friends in New York didn't want to leave to go on tour. Uh-huh. They because they would be leaving behind so much. And I, you know, I realized that later on, but I was too deep into the touring thing to to give it up. Because you know, touring is like drugs. You know, you can't stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what, what, what for you was the the hardest thing about touring? Oh, that's a good question, Frank. For me, the hardest thing about touring was creature comforts. I had to relinquish. You know, like I had to be clear about how many outfits that I, <laughs> that I could have. I had to be clear about how heavy I wanted my suitcase to be. I had to be clear about a lot of things. Um, and, and all of them were selfish ego things. Um, the travel didn't bother me. The, you know, the, the. Uh, lack of sleep didn't bother me that much. Um, but it was, you know, fine, making sure that my clothes were pressed. Make, those were the things that could, I know it sounds crazy, but those were the things that concerned me. And, oh, and food. 
what I was going to eat when, because I was on a kind of a restrictive diet at that time. I, I, and I still, I mean, I still am. And when I was touring, I didn't eat pork, beef, or, or you know, or uh, red meat or anything like that. I was just a chicken and fish person. And the way we were touring, that was really hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was huge. Especially with English roadies. <laughs> and, uh, on, on the other side of the coin, what, what, what do you what do you consider the best things about about uh, about touring? Uh, <clears throat> learning about different cultures, um, learning how to not be bored. Um, I kind of grew up on the road. Um, it, it it was interesting uh, for me because I I was so immature, pretending to be mature, and so I basically grew up. I learned how to listen and not speak. Um, there was several personal. Things on a personal level that um, helped me by touring. And fortunately, I didn't have any children. You know, I wasn't I wasn't married, so it was it was cool. I was just free to to live and learn. I guess. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, and also the joy of seeing audiences respond. Mm-hmm. That was a mm-hmm. for for me. It still is the best thing about it, is hearing that. Hearing the audience getting it from uh, the sound man. Did you ever have much interaction with sound guys um, throughout your career on the live thing? Were you an active participant, or did you just go out and sing into the mic and hope it was okay? No. Well, we had we had sound check, of course, yes. every day, and so yeah, I. Um, I didn't really have because the sound people that we worked with were generally so good that if there wasn't a sound check, I didn't have to worry. Mm -hmm. Everything was always there. The monitor sound was there that I needed. It was, I guess, because the sound people didn't was it wasn't uh, um, uh, a revolving door, you yeah, know. Yeah. There were the same people year after year, or the same people all the time. So they kind of knew, you know. They had a sense of who you were, and and what you needed. And so I generally didn't. I I didn't have any problem. I had interaction with them, uh, you know. Um, Afterwards, yes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> o- off stage, as it were. Off but, stage. <laughs> yeah, we. It was. It was. Well, back then, you know, back then times were different, you know. It yeah. Was, oh man. Thank it, God we lived yeah. that way and experienced yeah. that. Yeah. Which brings me to 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 one one question I should have asked you earlier, or maybe it's right now. When when you began your career, is there one thing you wish you had known beforehand? about this, about what you are getting into? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. 
I wish I had known how to sing. I didn't learn how to sing until later when I started having problems vocally. Um, and I remember uh, one time we were, I was having a conversation with Tina and she said to me, you should, uh, you should take vocal voice lessons. And I was so insulted, you know, because I came from a, a place where, and this was my ignorance, because I came from the school of God gave you this voice. You don't need to learn anything. How silly was that? God gave me a voice. However, God gave me sense enough and, and, not, and, and uh, choice to enhance what that gift was by learning how to use it, right? I wasn't that smart. I had to have a traumatic experience to learn how to sing because I've been singing wrong for so long. I developed a polyp, ended up getting surgery. Surgery went bad. And I ended up, the doctor clipped a piece of my vocal cord. So I couldn't sing for a year. I had to, I could even talk, Frank. Wow. And I found this fantastic, famous, well, she's famous now, Joan Later in New York, uh, voice teacher, speech therapist, voice teacher. And she saved my life. And had I listened to Tina, I would not have had to experience that. But I guess, you know, I, I needed to because I needed to realize how serious that was. So in answer to your question, I wish I had known what I was doing vocally. Uh -huh. You had, you had a, 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 an instinctive raw, raw talent from uh, yeah. and, and learned from the church. Well, you know what they say, trust God, but don't forget to tie your camel. Hell <laughs> You can have that one. You can take that. That was good. Take that one with you. Okay, you, that was good. But yeah, that was that was um, quite a learning experience for me. Quite, and it's so funny because I think about that and I laugh and I'm like, "You dumbass! You should have listened to Tina." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and uh, how did you? Do you have any advice for young people setting out now? Because because we're in a, well, I won't date this, but we're in a pandemic and there's no live shows. There's young people are just, they've been abandoned culturally, sexually, right. everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, yeah. not abandoned, but but they're, it's very, very restricted. Can you imagine being a young person and being locked down? No. And, try, and I, especially artists. Young artists trying to find yeah. themselves. Zoom doesn't do it for them, I don't think. Yeah, no. Well, I have to say, I am I am uh, watching a lot of these young artists on Instagram, and they are teaching me a thing or two. To believe it or not, there's these a lot of these young artists are not waiting for uh, anyone to give them anything. Yeah. They are out there and they are putting themselves out there and it's not Zoom. They're doing like live shows from their homes. They're doing 
And and my advice to them would be to keep doing what they're doing. Don't allow their situation to dictate what their future is going to be. Yeah. You know, to continue to to lead with their heart, not with their head. You know, I'm I'm actually enjoying seeing what's happening uh, in the midst of this insanity, this challenging time that we have, how creative people are. I mean, I've had to learn how to be more creative. I've had, I've done, worked with a couple of artists. I've done two videos that I had to do myself. I had one video uh, I had to record the the audio. I had to record the vo- vocals in my closet by myself, and then I had to do the video. And I had to do uh, on one of them one, two, three, four, uh, three different videos that they put together to make it you know, to make a chorus thing going. I mean, I had to learn so much. So if this 68-year-old can learn new things, I'm sure the young people can figure it out. Uh, A very good observation, a very good observation. So throughout your career, who who springs to mind as as being the person who's stuck by you from, from over the years? Lori Anderson, Chris and Tina Weymouth. T- Chris and Tina Weymouth. Chris <laughs> but you got it right. You got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has got a love that. Yes. I, I have to tell you, I adore those two. They are such an inspiration. And 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 I have to say, they're just good people. Yeah. And you don't find, I mean, they're just good people. They're not, you know, they don't have that rock star mentality that they're, you know, that they're superior to anyone else. And they have every right to be. But, you know, I just enjoy being in their company. I really, really do. Um, Who else? I'm sure if Buster was alive, he would be. Yeah, I was in, I, I was in London in 1989 when I was exiled, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I would see Buster around the place, and it was such a such a sad time to see him go. I know, I know. Um, as Chris says, I w- I wish he would have taken better care of himself. Well, uh, I, I'm lucky I escaped because yeah, I, yeah. I, and there's one person that has been by my side throughout my whole career. He's not known in the music industry, as it were, the way what we experience, but he's known in the in the theater. He's a he's a theater doll. He's a choreographer, director, and his name is Kim Robeson. And he and but and he and Buster and I met around the same time. And Ken Robeson, we've lived together. We have, uh, he's my brother from another mother. He is just been my biggest support system. I will call him when I feel insecure about something. I will call him and he, you know, he helps me with steps that I need to take to do things. He gives me uh, ideas on songs that I, if, if I have a show to do, he'll give me song ideas. I mean, he's 
probably my he's been my biggest cheerleader uh, of everybody because he is not he's been through in my life these last I I would say forty something years. Mm-hmm. Is he related to the other Robeson? No, no. Okay. But yeah, he's he's uh, he's an amazing guy. Uh, if you were if you were to ask a, a question of yourself on this show, what, what, what would you ask? If I wasn't uh, ask, if I wasn't asking the questions, if you weren't asking the questions, I would probably ask myself what. Um, how living, how, let me, let me be the person to ask. Don't let, now that you're living your life completely authentic, how has that changed things for you? You waiting for the answer, right? I I certainly (laughs) am. (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, I don't know if you, you know this, but well, of course you know this, but, um, it took me 50 years to admit that I was gay. And, um, what I realized once I, and it took years of therapy and it took years of spiritual and psychological, um, uh, therapy in order to come to this conclusion because I knew it since I was 12 years old but being raised how I was raised I sort of pushed everything down and and decided I was going to try to live like a straight person and and I have I had a gay brother and you know and I have gay nieces and nephews I mean it's it it does run in the family but anyway I had chosen not to um not to live my life as a lesbian. And, you know, that can only work for a certain amount of time. And um, once I started living my life authentically, my whole world changed. I mean, I stopped having anxiety. I uh, was open to... Uh, learn to to sing as a solo artist because being a background singer allowed me to hide, you know, mm. in certain ways. And I never wanted to be out front because I thought that my secret would come out. There was a lot of stuff. I was carrying a Frank, you have no idea. And that's where the drugs and the drinking and all of that, you know, I thought that, you know, I could hide with, you know, I could sort of, you know, uh, create another person, which I did. I created a, a, a Dolet McDonald that I, I lived with for many, many years, but at a certain point, at a certain point, she imploded. And uh, I needed to live my life authentically, and that's what I did. And that's who I am now. And I'm married to a fantastic woman, and we have a great life, and uh, I'm happier than I've ever been. Yeah, you're one brave soul. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I thank you. I thank you for that, for, for that answer and your honesty. Um, do, you, do, do, you, uh, do you sing at home every day? 
every day. I, you know, it's so funny because I was worried that I would run into my time with you because that's what I, I have my routine. I sing five days a week. I take the weekends off. I do a voice lesson and then I sing five songs because, you know, at 68 years old, your voice changes and you have to age changes your voice. And, you know, and, and other things. Well, yeah. Well, everything. Yeah. But especially, you know, singing, uh, any singer can tell you that if you don't use it, you lose it. So, you know, I it's it's like a job to me. I I work out like I do, you know, my workout routine. I have a singing routine for sure. Brilliant, brilliant. I wish I had a mix routine. I get to mix two channels when I'm doing this with you, but I really miss mixing music right now. I it's know a, you it's, do. It's, but there's a lot that, I mean, not only are you mixing, but you get to enjoy what's happening. Yeah, yeah, live. One take. Yeah. One take. Yeah. <laughs> on the edge, on the edge, That's baby. That's right. That's fabulous. So are you still uh, are you still recording? And what what are the highlights of your recording career? If I'm because because I'm I'm going to have to start looking you up. I don't do any research on the people I'm talking to. Just so you know. Um, well, there's a you know it's funny because that was a question that I was I've, I'm often asked and I don't have a an answer to because I've recorded so much. Um, and for me, it was just a gig, really. Um, it was the live stuff that I enjoyed more than the recording. But there's um, my friend um, uh, Chuck, um, Chuck Fishman did uh, a compilation of all, a lot, not all, but a lot of the songs I did. I sang on, and it's called The Spirit of Doletness on Spotify, and I was surprised. I had no idea I had, had done that many recordings. I mean, it, there's a lot. Be, it, besides Talking Heads and Sting and, and um, there's Tears for Fears, there's, oh, my God, the bands that I, I forget the names of, you know. Um, it's amazing. So you, people can check that out. It's called the Spirit of Dolette McDonald. Fantastic! I will I will have it playing when we hang up. Oh, cool! Yeah. Awesome! And I shall share the shit out of it, <laughs> uh, as you will when this podcast comes out. Um, I know, uh, but I but I'm I'm so I'm so grateful to have been in your presence for those. For those talking heads days. Oh, Frank, we had such a great time. We made we had yeah. We say made, it. We That's made, right, say it. We made history. That's right. And, you know, I've been so blessed because I have experienced a couple of those. People can, not many people can say that they have experienced historical events, but I experienced a couple. One was with Talking Heads and the other one was with Sting when he got this new band together. Those were two huge life-changing events for a lot of people. And I say that because I hear people and people tell me that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're part of it, you don't realize it's history. But then, then a, a couple of years later, you look back and you go, no one's done that since That's us. right. No one, can, no one right. can do that. The Talking Heads nine piece, no one can repeat that. 
That's right. That's that, right. That wasn't doable. That wasn't doable. No. You know, I had the no. E Street Band, and I had the band that Bruce took after the E Street Band. Same songs, different mm -hmm. animal, different animal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's, it was a. It was that was an organic thing. Well, it's funny you should say Talking Heads never told you what to do. When I when I first joined them in 1977, a, a couple of weeks into my tenure, I said to David Byrne just as a matter of courtesy, what are you looking for from me out there, you know, mix-wise? I, I, I was giving him a courtesy. I was going to do what I wanted to do anyway. Right. But, but, but he said, the smartest thing anybody ever said to me, and I think I've said this before, David Byrne said to me, don't get bored out there. Mm -hmm. Smartest mm -hmm. thing anyone's ever said to me because mm -hmm. you give me the job, it's like why keep a dog and bark yourself? Yeah, that, that's yeah. my job. Liam, yeah, Liam. and because I, you know, I'm Scottish and Irish. I'm not going to take instruction. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I did. I didn't get into rock and roll to be told what to do. So, right. Yeah. So that's yeah. Brilliant. It's brilliant. It was a great time. No, fantastic uh, time. I, 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 are you still in touch with Branford? I am. Send them. Send them this link and and uh, invite them. I will. I will. I definitely will. Because uh, I think he'd be. He'd he's be a, he's a great guy. He's a good friend. I absolutely adore him. I really do. Yeah, I, I used to know his manager Tony Myland way back. Right. Tony right. died. Tony died on us unfortunately, and he was managing yeah. managing Herbie Hancock as well. Herbie Hancock. I remember that. I yeah. remember Tony. So so Branford and I have an indirect connection. So cool. A anything you can do to facilitate that. You will be deeply rewarded in heaven. I know, right? I tell you, I, if I believed in heaven, I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> heaven, heaven is right here, right now. Heaven is right here, baby. Right, 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 right here, right now. Oh, that talking, That's right. that talking head song, I means a lot to me. That song. Yeah. Heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. <laughs> For sure. Dolette McDonald, I love you and I care for you. And I'm so happy we got this opportunity to catch up. Me too, Frank. I adore you. And thank you for uh, inviting me to be a part of this. You know, it's pretty darn cool. I learned, I learned so much about you and I learned a little bit about myself. Oh, great. Thank All you right, so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Frank. Love you. Love you. Hey, thanks for plugging in. We can't do without you. And if you can, please consider supporting the show so that we can keep it running through 2021. Go to our website at soundmanconfidential.com to find the link and to check out our amazing upcoming guest list. If you haven't already, plug into previous episodes with the four original Talking Heads. What other podcast can claim that exclusive? And for all you Simple Minds fans, you can hear my chat with my old pal Jim Carrey in episode one. Keep safe. I'll catch you at the next sound check on Soundman Confidential. Soundman Confidential is produced by Alan Black with our team Chip Bentley on sound production, web design Addy Bell, original music Paul Westwater, and public relations Paddy DeVries at Devious Planet Media. <laughs>